This morning we were starting our series, Don't Be a Pharisee. And I was, the, where, if you're wondering where in the world I came up with this, as I was going through Passion Week and we were talking about Psalm Sunday, or Palm Sunday and Psalm Sunday. <laughs> Jeez. Palm Sunday and Good Friday, I ragged on the Pharisees quite a bit. I had these three groups, and which one do you want to go in? And nobody ever wants to go in the Pharisees group, right? Like, that is just the untouchable. If I came out here and said, good morning, you bunch of Pharisees, you'd all be offended. Even if you're new to church, you don't even know what that word means. The general offense that would build in the room, you would be offended right along with everybody else. Because that is not a word that we want to be affiliated with. That is just, it's just a bad word. You know, it's almost like swearing. That's how much of a negative reaction we get when we start talking about the Pharisees. But the question is, how do they get there? How, why do we have such a negative response? Why is it that Jesus was so hard on them? Why is it that these Pharisees, these people who keep popping up every single story and pooping on Jesus' party and being just a pain in his butt. How did they get here? Why were they such a thorn in his side? And maybe the more important question to ask is how, if in any way, do we tend to be like the Pharisees? Because if we get so offended by them, there's probably a good chance that we should avoid all hints of representing and reflecting that kind of person uh, to our community, to our church. And so this, over the next six weeks, we're going to be doing this, don't be a Pharisee. And we're going to look at how they got there, what a Pharisee is, and what happened and what they were doing at the time of Jesus that were like, you know what, we need to stay away from that. The problem is, is that this is probably really perfectly timed. Um, I don't know if anybody heard, there's a group out of Alberta called the Barna Group, and every year they do a study of the church in Canada. And they just came out with their numbers. They said 67% of Canadians believe that Canada is worse off because of the presence of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. 67. Over half of Canadians believe that our country would be better off if we just weren't here. And when it comes to Christianity, it's not all Christianity. It's evangelical. So newsflash, that's our group. So why? Why is it that Canadians believe that we are part of this group that is actually... Because we believe we enhance the country. We believe that we make our community better by our presence. So why is it that everyone else does not share that sentiment with us? And I think, I believe, that what we're going to talk about for the next month and a half is very closely connected to why our country and our community feel the way they do about our church and the church as a whole. So we're going to have, it's going to be fun, I promise. It's not going to be a big downer. We're going to, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to give you some good news. It's going to be, you're going to learn lots. Um, but along with that, I really encourage you, I say this every single time I start a new series, I really encourage each and every one of you, if you haven't been out to small group, this next six weeks is a great time to jump in on small group. And the reason is, is that there's some material that we're going to be going through that lines up really well with what we're going to be talking about. In fact, I am not even going to hide it. 
I have borrowed 99% of the material from the guy who's doing the small group study uh, Tuesday nights because what he says and how he presents it is brilliant. It's so good. You're going to have some really great discussion. And so these two things are aligned. So if you haven't been out to small group in a while or ever, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, right here at the Carlisle campus, online, 7 o'clock, or 7.30 on Wednesdays at the Reimer House in Redverse. Really encourage you guys to jump in on small group to take what we talk about Sunday to that extra level of applicability and discussion. Anyways, that's all a bunch of preamble. <clears throat> so, before we got into what's wrong with the Pharisees, we need to unpack who exactly the Pharisees are. Because they weren't always the bad guys. In fact, for that day, for Jesus' day, before Jesus came along, the Pharisees were the gold standard when it came to devotion to God. They were, everybody wanted to be the Pharisees. They had all, <laughs> the entire Old Testament memorized. They fasted twice a week. They gave a tenth of everything to the temple. They were, if they were here today, they would be the best church members ever because they did everything they were supposed to do. They followed the law to the letter, and they were the best teachers in fact, at one point, Jesus is teaching his followers, and he says, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, your righteousness must surpass the Pharisees. And for us, who have read the Gospels and know what the Pharisees do, we're like, huh, piece of cake. For them, they're like, we're never getting in. Because the Pharisees were this wealthy group of priests and high officials, and all they did all day was study the Scriptures. And study the commentaries that went with the scriptures. And, and they really knew their stuff. And so if your righteousness had to surpass these guys, in their minds it would have been impossible to get into heaven. And that was actually kind of Jesus' point. It's the Pharisees that reduced entry into eternity as something that we could accomplish by our own actions. And Jesus is saying, actually, no, there's nothing you can do to get into eternity. There's nothing you can do to get into heaven. It actually all comes down to me and what I am going to accomplish on the cross. So the Pharisees are the religious elite. They are, well, in the bumper video, it said, the definition of zeal, right, is energized, they're motivated, they were driven, they were excited about their, whatever it is they're devoted to, and generally it was God. Well, the Pharisees were the epitome of devotion to God. At the time when the Pharisees were walking around, there's another group called the Zealots, who were the epitome of zeal, but they were not so committed to God. They were actually more interested in kicking the Romans out of Israel so Israel could become independent again. So there's these zealots, and they were like the radicals of the radicals. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus had one in his group. Which is really cool, that Jesus, in his eclectic group of people that were just kind of like the weirdos of the day, he had this zealot walking around, and he had this zealot convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, and he would have done anything for Jesus. But where the zealots were zealous for the freedom of Israel, the Pharisees were zealous for God. 
And not that zeal is a bad thing, but what happens is if zeal goes unchecked, it starts to become a problem. And this is the, so what happened? If these guys were the gold standard, if they were the ones that were following God and setting the example, how in the world did they become such vicious enemies of God? Such vicious enemies of Jesus to the point where they put him on a cross. Well, there's a couple things you need to understand about the Pharisees. And it's, this is, happens to each and every one of us, too. See, the Pharisees were the gold standard, and they knew it. They knew that if you wanted to be religious, if you wanted to be righteous, if you wanted to be devout follower of God Almighty, you had to look like the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees were going to show it as much as they could. They were the standard. They were on top of the pile, and they started looking at everybody else as less than. Oh, now we have a problem. Because that's not what God teaches us. That's not what God calls the devout to do, to be like, I am first, look at me, I'm so great. Actually, what the first will be last. And so this is where the problem comes in. When they, not only did the society see them as the gold standard, they knew they were the gold standard. And they started to make sure everybody knew they were the gold standard. And so we start running into what this starts to, how this starts to flesh out in the society, in the people that they're supposed to be leading, who they're supposed to be teaching. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to look at those six things. And the first thing we're going to look at is pride. And this is the thing about pride. We're going to get into this a little bit more later on. Pride is one of those sins that we're like, eh, it's not really that big a deal. I didn't murder somebody. And even when we talk about pride, like, oh, I struggled with it once, but I can't help it. I'm better than everybody. Like, it's so hard for me to be humble. Like, it's just, mm. like, we're just so dismissive when it comes to pride. And yet, we're going to look at some scripture where God has a very different viewpoint when it comes to this idea of pride. And when it comes to pride, I think there's a little bit of confusion. I think it's okay to be proud of your kids when they are excelling and doing great and marvelous things. I think it's proud to be, it's, it's okay to be proud of your business when it's excelling and it's doing well. The problem that God has with pride is when it becomes a spiritual pride and it's fueled by comparison. Right? Because it's really good to feel good about ourselves as long as there's somebody who's not doing as good as us. Who I'm so glad I read my Bible more than them. I'm really glad I pray more than them or that I show up at church a little bit more often than they do or fill in the blank. Because pride by comparison, especially when it comes to spiritual things, this is the problem. And that brings us to our first story. We're in Luke. Jesus tells this story to his followers in Luke 18, starting in verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Good intro. He's hanging out with a bunch of people who are really full of everything they're doing right and looking down on everybody else. He's like, hey, I got a story for you. Listen up. Listen closely. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. 
As far as Israelite community goes, these guys are the opposites of the spectrum. Tax collectors were seen as traitors. They were seen as robbers. They were seen as loyal to the enemies. This zealot would have just been furious at this story, talking about a tax collector, some Jew that aligned himself with the Romans. The tax collector... Even when Matthew tells stories, he says, Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. (laughs) You are the low of the low when you've hit this point. And so this would have everyone's attention. If they were confident in their own righteousness, if they were confident that they were doing everything right and making God proud, this story would have their full attention. The Pharisee stood by himself. Okay, everyone clear a room, clear some room for me. Here we go. And prayed this prayer. I thank you, God. Everyone listen to this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Good start. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. That tax collector who just came in and he's hiding in the back. That one who want to make sure nobody sees him. I'm not like him, God. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. Again, he's part of our church. Perfect. You're filling up our prayer days. You're giving to the church. You're doing great. You mark all of the exterior markers that we look for in a good member. He hasn't done anything wrong except for the fact that he's stood up and he has elevated himself amongst everybody he's supposed to be helping, including not like that tax collector. I'm not like that traitor. I'm not like that sinner. Not pointing at you, Todd. I'm just pointing in that. <laughs> I'm just, just, just trying to. <laughs> That's the farthest back there is, okay? That's. And what does the tax collector do? So Pharisee stands up and gives this great big prayer. What does the tax collector do? But the tax collector stood at a distance. See, like I said, he's hiding in the back. And dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. He's not, he's not show, he is, he is in the fetal position or as close as he can because he does not feel worthy to be in the presence of God. He beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. He's so embarrassed. He's so sorrowful. He knows what he's doing is wrong. God, have mercy on me. This is how Jesus closes the story. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let me tell you, if we have to be humbled, I don't want to have God do it. Because that is not going to be a pleasant experience. But Jesus says that the sinner, this tax collector, in his humility, in his hiding of his face, beating his chest, says, have mercy on me because I am a sinner. But what does Jesus not say in this story? 
Jesus didn't say that the tax collector cleaned up his life, sold all of his things, got right with the Jewish community, got right with God, and then came in and asked for forgiveness. He didn't do that. He wasn't like Zacchaeus, and if you don't know who Zacchaeus is, it's in Luke. He, that's exactly what he did. He hung out with Jesus for a meal, and he literally sold everything. So moved by the love and the grace of Jesus that he completely turned his life around. But Jesus doesn't say that about this guy. And he doesn't say that after he prayed this prayer, he changed his career, he changed his loyalty, he cleaned himself up, and he stopped being a tax collector. He doesn't say any of that. What does he say? He just went home. And that God heard his prayer. But the Pharisee, who was looking down on him, the Pharisee, who on the outside was doing everything right, God didn't hear his prayer. God did not hear the pride and the arrogance that the Pharisee was so boastful about. No, that prayer, that fell on deaf ears. And that should just bother us just a little bit. Because we can get, and not like I am, I need to be sitting right beside Clay for this. Like we can get so caught up on doing the right thing and sometimes making sure someone sees us doing the right thing that we can be like, oh, look at me. I'm so good. I follow the law. I follow, I'm doing everything the church asked me to do. I am so good. And then you run into someone who's not doing the same. We're like, what's the matter with you? Clean yourself up. You're embarrassing yourself, right? You may not say those things, but you may be thinking it a little bit. Pride is such a bad thing. I was reading a, reading a book the other day, and prepare yourselves for this one. This is a little bit of a bomb. Pastor said, well, before we get to it, Proverbs 6. This is how God sees pride. Proverbs 6, starting in verse 16. There are six things God hates. No, seven things he detests. If you want to memorize a list of things to avoid, this is probably a good one to have at the top of your list. Because what what do we say about sin sometimes? Oh, all sin is equal. No, not not all sin is equal. According to this, there's things that God hates above all else. There are things that God detests. There are things that in God's pecking order are the bad ones that we need to avoid at all costs. Okay, now you have my attention, God. What are these things that you want me to avoid? Haughty eyes. Now, you don't know what that means. That's a really fancy word of saying eyes who, proud, proud eyes. Proud eyes who look down on everybody else because they are not as good as you for whatever reason. Fill in the blank. Haughty eyes, number one out of the gate. Pride, number one out of the gate. God hates. God detests above all else. A lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. Let's go over that again because I wanted to stick with you a little bit beyond today. Haughty eyes, proud eyes. A lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family, a person who creates disunity. 
in a family. So this is, this is the little bomb from the pastor I was reading the other day. According to this list, God would actually prefer if you struggle with pornography than if you struggle with pride. Let that sink in a little bit. Because adultery was not on that list. Stealing was not on that list. I don't think it was. Murder was on that list. But for, in our mind, and the way that we approach sin, and the way that we talk about it at church, and we, I'm talking about this guy right here, right? We have courses to help you with a porn addiction. We have courses that when we've done them in the past. So if you struggle and it's something that you'd be interested in, I would love to help you through that. We have things that, you know, stop murdering. We have people who do that, right? They stop you from murdering others. It's so bad that you don't have to be a Christian to know that murder is wrong. Stealing is bad. But pride, eh, is it really that bad? In our minds, probably not. But in God's mind, it is number one on the list. Because what we don't realize is how destructive pride really is, especially in the church community, especially in our family. Pride destroys so many relationships. Pride gets in the way of so many good things getting done. And it's pride. You look at, take a good, close look at that Barna study, and it's that pride and that arrogance that has put us in that list of why Canada would be better off without us. Because it is fueled by this idea that I am a Christ follower, I have been forgiven, I do all these good things, I give to the poor, I serve my community, and everyone else that doesn't, they are less than me. And it's so wrong. And it's the quickest way to chase people out of our church. Pride is a cancer that will kill all the good things that are going on in your life. So, if pride is so bad, what can we do to keep pride out of our life? Especially when it comes to spiritual pride and spiritual arrogance. Well, the first thing is we got to deal with this comparison thing. Right? We need to stop comparing ourselves to others. And there's a few ways that we need, there's a few redirections that we need to do. Um, the first one is our approach to Scripture. We need a better perspective of Scripture. Because Scripture, as we know throughout, it says that it is a double-edged sword and we swing that thing at anybody who gets too close sometimes. But Scripture is not just a sword. The other thing that we need to remember about God's Word is that God's Word is a mirror. God's Word is a mirror that we look into that tells us who God is, what God wants, and how we're doing by that standard. It is a reflection. James 1 says this, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to a, the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says, and don't forget what you have heard, then God will what? God will bless you for doing it. 
God's word is a mirror. Meant to help us correct, help, meant to help us course correct when we need to. It is meant to be for our good. But so often, we use it for other things. First thing we like to use it for, God's word is not binoculars. <laughs> Instead of reflecting back on ourselves, we, <laughs> and we get nice and close on what is wrong in everybody else's life. You know what the problem with binoculars is? It's hard to look at yourself in binoculars. But it's really easy to get a good up-close look at everybody else. One guy said it's log eye disease. You're, those binoculars help you see everyone else's specs, but, help, but get in the way of you seeing the big old log that's stuck in your own eye. Scripture is not binoculars that as you read it and you think about, oh, that's what is wrong and everybody else, someone really needs to read this scripture. Yeah, probably you. God's word is not binoculars. It is not a prop. And what I mean by that is it's not something that you stand up and say, look at how much I've memorized. Look at how good I am doing by God's word. Nothing fuels your arrogance more than having God's word set up beside you saying, I'm doing so good. I am meeting all these standards. I am checking off all these things on the list. No, God's word is not a prop. The last thing is not a springboard. And what I mean by that is, as anyone, I, I am guilty of this. This is probably the one part that I get caught up in. I'd be reading through scripture, and then I have a question that scripture doesn't answer. So what do I do? I go looking for the answer. Well, sometimes, God intentionally doesn't answer that question. Sometimes, there's supposed to be a little bit of mystery. Like, God, how does the Trinity work? Good luck. But you, there are so many people, there's podcasts and books out there that try to answer all these mysterious things about the Word that we just don't get when we read it at face value and we fill ourselves up with all of this useless knowledge. And I'm telling you, it's useless because all these extra things that we get caught up filling our brain with actually have nothing to do with salvation. Everything you need to know about salvation is in your Bible. So stick to it is not a springboard to get into because and this is where this is where the problem begins because we get so caught up on these little pieces of theology these minor points there are some things you believe that not everyone's going to share in that belief and it's not worth fighting about and this is what I was guilty of as a youth pastor all the time because I was smarter than everybody else I was going to make sure everybody knew it and one day, I realized that I was fighting all of these theological fights. I was winning. I was arguing people under the table, like, you, you know who's smarter now, don't you? You're not going to bring that up again. But I was losing the war for their soul. Because chances are, after we had a big old theological fight, they didn't come back. So did I really win? Probably not. But this is the problem. We get so caught up in these minor things and God says, no, stop worrying about the minor things. Just stay focused on the one thing that really matters. The word is what I've given you. Stick to that. Don't get distracted by all these quote-unquote good things. The first thing is 
is scripture. The second thing that we need to have a better mindset of is obedience. Because everything I've talked about this morning is like, look how good I am. I am obeying. I am fulfilling God's word. I am living out the commands. I am, ah, good for me. Like, I've done something special. You know what Jesus says about obedience as a Christ follower? Look at this, Luke 17. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron, serve me while I eat, then you can eat later. He just came in from the field. Okay, slave boy, now, it's, now I want to eat. Get to it. Then does the master thank the servant for doing all that he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. We treat obeying God's commands as if we have done something exceptional. And Jesus says, no, actually, your obedience is just baseline, good Christ follower behavior. Yeah, but God's commands are so hard to attain. God's commands are so impossible and so high. Like, how could I ever possibly? That's why he gave you his Holy Spirit. Because God has given you all the strength and all the wisdom and everything you need to fulfill the commands if you're just willing to do it. Obedience should not be a source of pride. Obedience is baseline good Christian behavior and not something to be prideful of. God's word is a mirror. It's hard to be proud when Jesus is the standard. And it is not, and obedience is not exceptional. It is simply baseline, call of duty, what it means to be a believer. If you keep those two things in mind and you refuse to use scripture as a weapon, pride, you will... <laughs> Not that you will never have any issues with pride, but it gets a lot harder to be proud of the things that you are doing. Worship team, you can come on up. Everyone else, you can stand, and I'm going to pray as we... <coughs> Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place that you would seek out our hearts, that you would seek out our minds, and you would root out any area of pride. God, I pray that we would approach Scripture as an opportunity to better ourselves, not better everyone around us. That we would not read Scripture to fill our satchel with rocks that we can throw, but that we would clean up the mirror so we can see ourselves better by the standard that you set for us. God, I pray that we would recognize that following your commands and obeying what you've asked us to do that's just being a good follower of you God I pray that as we go out throughout this week that you would root out any hint any temptation to be proud of where we are and God help us avoid that trap of comparison comparing ourselves to others who maybe aren't where we're at instead when we recognize that, we would come alongside them and help pull them up, encourage them to do better in any way that we can. God, help us not to be a bunch of Pharisees, but help us to be good followers of you that honor you in all that we do. 
Jesus, we love you. We give you all our praise and thanks in your precious name. Amen.